Welcome to Emerging Franchise Brands, the podcast that introduces you to the visionary founders of America's fastest growing franchise opportunities. We'll also hear from industry pros as they share insights on what it really takes to achieve the elusive milestone of 100 plus locations. I am your host, Frank Fumi, founder of i9 Sports, and my 20-year journey from inception to acquisition has given me a unique perspective on how to succeed in franchising. Join me as we welcome today's guest. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. On today's show, I have Roger Martin from Thrive More Brands. Roger, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. Well, you are a unique guest for us because most of the founders I speak to, they represent, you know, one brand and, or I'll speak to somebody maybe who is a president of just a platform, but not somebody who's been involved in multiple brands all under their own umbrella. So let's talk about Thrive More and what are the brands that are underneath your company? Sure, sure. So just to give a little bit of the the history, the genesis of this, uh, in 2017, I left a 25-year career uh, from the pharmaceutical industry, uh, built that career, ended up uh, a, a, being in a, a chief operating officer position, and just decided I no longer wanted to be the guy that was in charge of, you know, armies of reps selling pills that treated people but never cured them. Right, <laughs> it treated them but never cured them. That's the best medicine when you're selling it. And I, I really wanted to get behind something that was the cure. Like I, I, my my legacy, I wanted to be, you know, that I'm doing something great for for people. And I'm a huge proponent of fitness, you know, balanced nutrition. Um, you know, just living a, a healthful life. And I, I think, you know, obviously so many Americans could could benefit from that message. So ended up meeting a guy coincidentally, uh, I was hiring a, a boxing coach for my son who was like 12 at the time, ended up meeting a gentleman who had a couple boxing for fitness studios. And I was about ready to leave corporate America and ended up talking to him on the kind of the side of the, the studio while my, my son was training. And uh, he wanted to, to franchise and, and, and expand his business. Didn't really have the capital or, or the know-how from the marketing side of it. I uh, certainly had a great product. The product hasn't changed a lot. He, he built an amazing workout and structure and member experience. So uh, 2017, I think I knew the guy for about, uh, his name, his name Steve, knew him for about three months. And we decided to go <laughs> 50-50 on this thing. And I put up all the money. He put up all his expertise. And uh, Rockbox Fitness was born. His gyms, was called they were called something different. But we rebranded. My first hire were, uh, were a couple marketing consultants that I had worked with. So started Rockbox Fitness. 2018, we started franchising. Um, fast forward to 2021, we brought on a second brand called Beamlight Sauna. And Beamlight Sauna is uh, uh, infrared, red light therapy, light modality, um, non-medical treatments for uh, for consumers. So infrared saunas is, is the core product. And that those are private suites, each with its own infrared sauna that, that people buy membership to and, and come and they do red light therapy and other therapies that are all light based. Um, and then we have a nutritional brand as well underneath that same umbrella that is proprietary and mainly sold through Rockbox Fitness locations to the members that are looking for to, to augment their nutrition. And um, we've been to the altar with a couple other brands and just decided it wasn't the best fit, but uh, are are looking at um, a fourth brand right now that looks like it's going to be potentially a really great fit. So Thrive More Brands was created to really house these, you know, Rockbox Fitness, Beamlight Sauna, our nutritional brand, and then, you know, fourth brand, a fifth brand, a sixth brand. As you mentioned, you've interviewed a lot of maybe presidents and, and heads of a company under a platform. 
Mm-hmm. And the reason why platforms are growing so much is because you get the economies of scale. You need one marketing team, one financial team, different operations teams, of course, but a lot of the core functions, you know, one CEO, one COO. So you you have a lot of cost synergies, but you also have, you know, it's not just savings. There's a bump you get from the expertise because you get really, really good at digital advertising, at member acquisition, you know, improving customer experience. So we created this this uh, this platform, and it's health and wellness. So it doesn't have to be, you know, we're not going to stray and do like a, you're not going to see us in an oil change, you know, franchise or something like that. And nothing you can, those are profitable, but it just doesn't fit our our mold. Sure. So, um, all health and wellness, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll get creative on what how that looks. But we will not have, I guess, never say never. But the plan is to never have any brands that would compete. So obviously, there's a very large fitness. Uh, platform, you know, it's publicly traded and, and they have many, many brands, but you know, those brands can compete with each other. So you really have franchisees that can compete with each other. And I know that's not the talk track in, the, in that platform, but, but I, I see competition between, you know, brand uh, franchisees of different brands in that platform. So our brands, our, our concepts will always be complementary, mm-hmm. but never competitive, but they will go after the same target consumer. But what we found is that target consumer that pays $200 for their boutique fitness membership will pay $200 for an infrared sauna membership. We'll pay $200 for this. We'll pay $200 for that because they invest in their health. They believe in their health. They, they value their health where, you know, if we, if we bought like a, a discounted brand, I'm just going to say planet fitness and we're going to, we're not going to buy planet fitness, <laughs> but let's say we bought planet fitness, you know, $10 a month, that doesn't really fit our marketing model our customer acquisition model. So we'll always be in that premium segment that goes after the same avatar that believes and invests in their their health and wellness. Mm, that's fantastic. That was a long answer to a very simple question, but there you go. Yeah. No, again, you are a very unique guest uh, among the people who I've interviewed. So I want to go back to Rockbox Fitness sure. yeah. and get your take on, look, you met Steve, you only knew him for like three months. What were some of the criteria that you heard or that you needed in order to say, I want to go in business with this guy and I think it's franchisable. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I hope the listeners, um, if they listen to anything in this podcast, uh, it's about what I'm about to say. There, I don't care how great the idea is, how unique it sounds or feels. And if it's unique, by the way, you're going to be copied within six months. So unique doesn't really count in this business. You have to look for somebody that does two things. One, they, they roll up their sleeves and work. I mean, they'll and I have stories of like lifting steel beams into the ceiling, you know, to hang bags from when we had our initial flagship store. We're much more sophisticated now, but <laughs> I mean, just whatever it took, you know, scaffolding and hanging from the ceilings and just dumb stuff that I was doing in my late forties, because that's what it took. I saw that in Steve. I saw that work ethic, that, that just immediate bias for action. And, and number two, you know, he would jump. And what do I mean by jump? And I, I talk about this a lot. People decide they're going to you know, I've decided I'm going to start a business. I've decided I'm going to do this. I've decided I'm going to lose weight. I've decided I'm going to get in shape. Well, newsflash, you haven't done a damn thing yet. You haven't done anything. You've had a mental exercise, but you haven't done anything. And, and what I saw in Steve was a, and I still see it, is a guy that has an extreme bias for action and would jump like, okay, let's decide to do this. And now let's go do it. And, and I kind of watched, you know, over these three months as he talked about his business and, you know, we had lunches and, and a couple of dinners to really get to know each other and kind of understand what he was doing and, and stuff. And, and I took classes and, and then I interviewed his members. So I, I didn't go into it like blindly and, you know, without any due diligence, 
but I, but I moved really quickly because I jumped, you know, I decided like, I'm going to go into business for myself. I love the fitness space. Wow. This guy can get me there a lot quicker because he has the expertise. He'd already had five years of experience at that time from owning two studios. He was a serial entrepreneur. So I knew he knew how to stand up things. And he had a vision for it that was similar to my vision, kind of a rock and roll show meets a boxing class. And, and, you know, when you, after you do your due diligence, when you know, you know, if you're going to pick a partner, there's always risk. And, and Steve and I get along great now, but that hasn't always been the case, you know, because mm -hmm. business partners is like marriage, you know, there's ups and downs, but, um, I'm telling you, if you, if you're looking for somebody, if you're looking for something in a partner, look for bias for action. And then look for evidence that they've actually jumped before. It doesn't have to mean they've started their own business in the past, but that they've made a move to take a promotion with another company. You know, they've left their comfort zone. They've, you know, uh, they've shown discipline in other areas of their life. To me, past behavior is the greatest predictor of future results. And so I always am very careful you know, when, I, when I'm doing business with somebody that I'm looking at their past performance, their past achievements. And again, they don't have to built a million, a hundred million dollar company and sold it, but they had to have excelled at whatever they were doing in previous corporate positions, you know, previous business ventures, personal things, you know, whatever bias for action and they jump. Mm. So I, that's what I saw in them. Yeah. Had you looked at other concepts before this or you really tell me yeah, about, yeah, I want to get the, I want to get an idea of was Roger trying to create a platform from the very beginning? Did you have this sort of, uh, you know, foresight that here's how I'm going to, I'm going to build this company. It's going to be a platform or, um, or was this a one-off like, yeah, I want to kind of get in your head. Yeah. Um, if I told you that I had plans for thrive more as a platform and we're going to do infrared sauna, I'd be lying. Like that's, <laughs> and anybody tells you have a master plan, it all comes, you know, as you know, nothing right. ever comes to plan the way, it, but other things happen and, and sometimes better things happen. But, um, no, I wanted to go all in on this fitness concept on Rockbox fitness. I am a huge fan of mixed martial arts of combat sports, again, nutrition, fitness, and this, we were able to in live music, I should say, and, and I'm a huge fan of live music and used to play music when I was in my twenties and thirties. And I wanted to bring that kind of that experience that you feel when you go to a live concert, like right when the lights go down, the crowd starts screaming you know, the, the, the fogs in the air and the stage lights come on. Like there's, there's butterflies you get, like everybody gets them, you know, totally. you just feel it across the, yeah. And, and when you leave a, a concert, you know, I don't think anyone's ever said in the history of time, you know, I wish I would have stayed in tonight. Like, you know, they all, you're always on a high when you leave live music. It's such a great communal experience. And I wanted to create that feeling that I get when I go to live music and music festivals in a fitness class so that you get the butterflies when the lights all turn blue, the music goes up, you know, this same kind of ritual thing happens and, and then it's off to the races for 50 minutes and it's like a rock and roll show on the hour, every hour. And again, Steve had already created supply chain. He had created the workouts, the formats, all that. I didn't know any of that stuff. None of it. Um, you know, he, he'd already done some commercial real estate leasing. I'd never done that before. So my learning curve was a 90, 90 degree angle, but the vision for what I, what I wanted to build um, really came to fruition. Like that's what exists today. And, and I certainly don't take, you know, full credit for that. Cause we're a lot of people involved in bringing it to what it is today, but that was, yeah, it was, it was kind of an all in burn your boats. There goes my salary. There goes my 401k. There goes my health insurance. Like, you know, I, <laughs> on a Friday I quit and on a Monday I'm like, okay, this is a new world, man. This is a whole new world. But by, you know, 
I've said this many times, like, you know, Monday was scary as hell. Tuesday, okay. By Wednesday, I'm never looking back. Right. You know? And I think, and you know, I know you've you've been very successful. And I th- those that first step is the scariest one. Oh, it's the far. scariest one. It's the before oh. the first step, right? Yeah. It's the step zero <laughs> to one yeah. is so scary. I remember being scared to death of just quitting my full-time job to run my business full-time. And I because I had both concurrently. You know, you and I a little history here we both have a history in pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. let's talk about your history and what led you to rockbox to begin with so i started with a company called eli Lilly, and uh, actually one of my drugs was prozac so i was i was you know right there at the beginning of of that whole ssri movement and um it was actually kind of an exciting time in medicine but you know i i found that and, and so I, I worked there for several years then i went to work for a, a, a belgium company that was acquired by abbott pharmaceuticals and then another company in massachusetts and that was later acquired um and, and then i worked for a private equity firm to, to run one of their their facilities i will tell you that i think corporate america gets a, a terrible rap and it should <laughs> there's a lot of reasons it should but i'm i'm incredibly grateful for that 25 years of executive development of persuasion and influence training of leadership training you know what i was exposed to you know some travel to europe and 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 all over the been to 49 states and you know there's a lot i'm grateful for in the experience i got in corporate america and it gives you it gives you some polish you know there's there's an expectation that you kind of raise your game uh, especially as you rise the ranks I, i moved my family eight times across i mean literally end zone to end zone a couple times in this country um to take that next step and to get more experience and more responsibility. So I'm really thankful for that experience. And I hope, I'm not going to say never, but I hope to never, ever have to go back to that because I think building your own company, um, having a, a team, we've got a team of 26 here that you're just really tight with that, you know, it's, it's you again, all of you against the world, man, that's just something you don't experience in corporate America. You know, corporate America so many times is, you against the guy in the cubicle or the office next to you, you know, because you're gunning for the pie is only so big in corporate America. The pie is only so big and you have to slice it up in entrepreneurship. You just grow the pie like you and I can be competitors and just like, hey, man, let's just grow this thing together. Right. You know, like I'm going to I'm going to fight hard. So are you. But we can grow the pie where in corporate America, you know, the, the company is so big. There's only so many positions, so many promotions and you fight for those. And so really the competition is inside those four walls versus outside of that. And that man, once you get out of that, you realize what a shark tank it is and, and not in a healthy way, not in a healthy way at all. Mm-hmm. And we're also, I think we're influenced by our friends and family. Are we not to take that leap? Of course. I mean, I can tell you right now, um, my mom, I love her to death, thought I was crazy as hell. Like, you know, what are you doing? You're leaving, you know, multi six figure this, but you know, all these benefits, stock options. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur when I was growing up, which is funny. Cause I didn't realize that he had his own, like a small car care chemical uh, distributorship i never thought of you know hey dad's an entrepreneur i just thought well, dad just has his own business you know like it just didn't know what that meant you know, <laughs> so that's, that's 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 all i knew which is kind of funny so i think he he was definitely more supportive my wife was amazingly supportive i think that's really key is to have a spouse that uh, is behind you and understands kind of the crazy dreams but uh, mo- you know i had some it's funny you, a lot of my corporate friends were like yeah man go for it do it but I know damn well they called, you know, well, you know, all kind of buddies. They called him. He's crazy. He's, he's insane. Absolutely crazy. Dude. He's insane. You know, he's insane. Uh, I mean, now that they, they know this is all I do, but 
I know when I made that change, it probably, it, it was not, it was not my character, what people knew. It wasn't, it wasn't the costume and the facade that I wore to work every day for right. 25 years. It probably was Rogers going through a midlife crisis, something along those exactly. lines, right? Yeah. Instead of buying a, a you know, an Aston Martin or, or a Porsche, I, I built a company. You yeah. built a company. Could have done a lot worse. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> My background wasn't actually in pharmaceutical sales as well, but it goes back to when I was in my 20s. I wasn't in a, a leadership position. I was in, in pharmaceutical sales. And yeah. I would agree with you. I did I did both cardiovascular equipment, orthopedic equipment, and then pharmaceutical mm -hmm. sales overall over 10 years. And Roger, I would agree 100% that there's a lot of gratitude there for what we learned working for larger organizations, but I will be also honest with you, or I should say I would be lying to you right now if I yeah. told you at the time that I was grateful and enjoyed it because oh, I did, I hated it. Nothing yeah. shy. And I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. My dad worked in the medical field. He was a cardiovascular um, technician or heart technician. So during the open heart surgery, he would run like the heart lung machine and stuff. And so mm -hmm. I got an in when I graduated college and got into med medical sales that way through open, through cardiovascular and yeah. I did not appreciate it at the time even though it was a great career and it was well-paying and everything else I didn't have any appreciation for but looking back on it now and the reason why I bring this up is because we have an audience of folks who are either a looking to buy a franchise or b they're mm -hmm. aspiring franchisors or emerging franchisors and I think mm -hmm. I hope that this this show gives them an opportunity to reflect on their own life to say that some of those times that they hated the job they had or the career they did for too long, or maybe the career they're doing too long right now, yep. actually there was great value in it, that they did learn a lot. I learned a lot about how to work autonomously. I learned how to work, be part of an organization. Heck, even how to behave in corporate in a corporate setting, right? And to yep. dealing with also the, the hierarchy of an organization. And all those things are opportunities you and I would never have had if we had just started Rockbox and I9 Sports when we were 21 years old, right? I, I, I'm pretty sure I would have failed. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure it just, you, you can't even appreciate the bag of tricks that you have that comes with gray hair, right? You know, like I've earned every one of these strands of gray hair from the lessons that, that, that you learn. And there's only, you know, pain is the, is the best teacher. Bar none, it's the best teacher of by tenfold. And if you don't have pain, you don't, grow and that pain may be in your current role so either find a way to reinvent that role or leave that role right it's it, maybe it is time like at some point it's time to leave a role but you have to find the lesson in that pain or that pain was wasted uh, you know it was pain for the sake of pain which is just that's it's insanity so i think as as i've gotten older i've tried to look for and i you know in the moment no of course not but you know i'm not that good but i tried to very quickly afterwards look back and go okay what did i learn there what did i learn not to do what did i learn that i should that that worked let's repeat more of that behavior let's repeat more of whatever that was and i'll tell you corporate america is a great learning environment for all the skills you just mentioned like you just rattle off the, per, the, the perfect list and it also teaches you what not to do and, and and what i mean by that is we built a new headquarters here so rockbox and beam was growing we needed a bigger office so uh rented part of uh, half of this third floor and they, they gave us a very generous ti allowance a, a tenant improvement allowance to to offset the construction costs and so we installed every office here every wall here besides the drywall behind me um is floor to ceiling glass and the doors are glass and that's you know corporate america i know some of the new buildings kind of look like that, but i grew up in corporate america the higher up you went 
the higher the floor you went, the farther away from your team you went, <laughs> closer to the corner you went, mm -hmm. and your door became oak so nobody could see in, which is just nonsense. And it, right. you know, I don't know how you can build a team that way. So, you know, my office sits, and by the way, every office that we built, like I, I had two demands, floor to ceiling glass, and every office is the same exact size. And, you know, my office is the same size as everybody else's, and my office is right in the middle of the hallway with everybody else's. Like it's not center, it's not, you know, it's just kind of there because I think that sends the message that. This is an equal playing field and what wins is talent and results. You know, hey, tenure, we appreciate it. Here's a gold watch. Thank you. But talent and results is what gets rewarded here. And we've got, you know, we've got 25-year-old directors here and that started as, you know, associates, but they kill the game. And so I don't need to wait till they're 35 to give them a promotion and more money because they're they're amazing contributors, you know, and that's, and that would never happen in corporate America because damn it, I had to do it. So, so do you, you know, I got to walk, I had to walk through the gauntlet. So, so do you, Frank, you know, and that's, that's just a, that's a poisonous way I think to build a culture. Absolutely. What about how did franchising though find you? So you're in the pharmaceutical industry in, in a leadership position for, for how many years was it? 20 some um, leadership was probably um, at least 20 years in leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So the first five were basically sales and then do you have any background in franchising? Of course not. Like no, most of us, none I, of us do. No, I, um, <laughs> it's funny. I, I was, I, I did somebody else's podcast, uh, not too long ago. And they asked, you know, how did, what is it? Um, not how did you found, find franchising? How did franchising find you? Cause right. nobody finds franchising. Right. Right. But Hey man, I'll, you know, and I, as you outlined your audience, I'll be the first to admit, I thought, look, you get a great concept, you franchise it. And then it's just a road paved with gold. Oh, you know, like that's, you know, because <laughs> who told you that? You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you see, you know, you see McDonald's and Chick-fil-A and, 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 you know, Orange Theory and all these things. And, and you're like, oh my God, this looks so, so easy. You just have a great concept and you sell that. We think they're all like that. There's 4,000 yeah. franchisors. We keep, but we, but when we think of franchising, we think of those few brands. You're right. You're right. You're right. Those are the four and few. So between. I didn't know what an FDD was. I didn't know what an FA was, but. Um, you know, another lesson maybe for the listeners is if you don't have the expertise, buy it, you know, buy it. Yes. Now don't overpay for it because everyone will, a lot of people will want to overcharge you for that, but man, shorten the learning cycle and pay for expertise, not for somebody to do it for you because then you didn't learn anything, mm -hmm. but for somebody to teach you how to do it. Now, if it's, if it's something you're only gonna have to do one time, then pay somebody to do it. But if it's something you have to do on a continual annual quarterly monthly basis, pay somebody to acquire the knowledge so you know how to do it so you can train somebody in your company to do it and then they can own it and they can do it for you and then they can teach other people to do it but that's what i that's how i approach franchising was okay i know nothing about this what is an fdd i'm going to research that i'm going to read as many fdds as i get my hands on what is how is an fa different a franchise agreement different from a franchise disclosure document okay what does that look like what can we say what can we not say you know i i hired a consultant for 25 grand to tell me what are we allowed to say? You know, well, you can't, can I tell them I made, you know, 300 grand this year in Rockbox? No, you no. can't say that. <laughs> Don't yeah, you dare. Exactly. Okay. Isn't that the most important thing? But you know, it's, yes, but you can't say it. <laughs> you can't say it. Exactly. So, you know, I went through that, that same learning curve, um, talked with lawyers, talked with consultants, um, you know, hired, like I said, the first two hires were marketing consultants. One that I'd worked with before, one that was on the West coast to, to build this brand, to, to make it look the way it does. Uh, Cause that's not my skill set, And and again, we were only going to build a brand one time, so to speak. So that yes. I outsourced and maybe just had some comments or opinions on, but like digital advertising, I became an expert at that. And I didn't even have a Facebook account in 2017, never been on social media in my life and realized, okay, I can grow old and be ignorant or I can, 
you know, jump in the deep end here and figure out what to do and how this works. And, you know, how do you, how do you run Facebook traffic? How do you run Google traffic and learn how to do that? So then I could then teach that to somebody else who now runs our digital agency internally here. But if anybody's listening and they're like, ah, but you know, I'm 45 or I'm 40 or I'm 50 or I'm 55, you know, it's, uh, I, I should have, when I was younger, you still have at least, at least 30 years in front of you. Like that's, you can build an empire in 30, like an empire in 30 years. I was 46, 47 when I walked away from basically a half million dollar compensation package to zero and started a business from scratch and, and built it. And, you know, I truly have worked harder than I've ever worked in my entire life. Like, as you know, it's, and there's no time clock. You just work, you just wake up and start working and you work till it's time to go to bed. You know, that's entrepreneurship, but, but you love it because it's your own, you're building your own house. Right. But I think so many people are, I mean, I was close brother i was so close to just probably saying hey you know what i'm i'm almost to the finish line let me just put another 10 years and uh, i got plenty of money and i'll be good miserable that would have been a miserable existence but man I, I i i was probably close to that but that's where that whole jump theory like don't decide jump go file the llc open the bank account start acquiring customers you know like it's you just you just go right just start taking action if you mm -hmm. think too long and you think too much about it, you can easily talk yourself out of anything. Oh, by breakfast, easily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. the thing that, uh, you know, I, I'm really passionate about is that life after exit because I personally went through that whole grieving process after exiting my company, even though it was my doing, I decided yeah. to exit, yet I still end up going through the grieving process. And my suggestion to anybody who's listening to this would be uh, to shorten that grieving process, which is normal, right? You must've went through it still, even though it wasn't your company in some regard sure. to shorten it is to get involved with something sooner rather than later. Don't let too much time go by and making sure though, that you're doing something that you're super passionate about because I don't know about you, Roger, but for me, retirement is boring as hell. I'm never doing it again. I tried it. Yeah. It sucked. It yeah. was awful. It was awful because at the end of the day, we're, we're happy when we're fulfilled and we're fulfilled when we're growing and we're contributing, right? That's you. That was the key word. You, you just stole the words. I'm about that. A man or a woman has to have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. You have to. And, and the reason has to be contribution. It doesn't have to be to make money, but it, you have to contribute back to your own species in some way and some meaningful way for your life to have meaning. And you know, re, re, my parents are retired. It's great. You know, but I like go on to play so much golf and fish so much and watch so much HD TV. Like I just, that's not my, that's not my jam. Not I my agree. jam. I'm, I'm going to go out swinging. I'm going out swinging. Uh, I, I, you and I are kindred spirits for sure. I couldn't agree yeah. with you more. Maybe it's a generational thing too. Maybe the boomer generation really worked for the gold watch and for the pension and retirement. When I was in my late forties, my dad um, said to me, you know, you got to really start thinking about retirement. And I was just like, what? Retirement? Like, it never even dawned on me. He was like, well, you know, you can slow down now. Your company's doing well. But we just have two completely different ways yep. of looking at life. And then I realized after exiting the company and taking time off, holy cow, that is totally not me and there's nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, I don't know about you, but when I was, quote, unquote, retired for a short time, I was almost offended when somebody would say to me, oh, so what are you doing now? Are you retired? 
And I'm like, no, I'm not retired. I'm taking a break. <laughs> In your case, I don't think you really took much of a break though, right? You went right from pharmaceuticals right to oh, Rockbox. It, it was like, yeah, they were, it was, I would already had Rockbox like, that's uh, beautiful. Launched or anything, but but had given my notice and and yeah, you know, found. I mean, I had a successor and kind of get that person ready. So yeah, mine was was I, I wouldn't have minded a little break, quite frankly. But you know, I I think that you you are you just you nailed it too. The boomer generation was was taught and, and it was preached forever. Get a job, go to school, mm-hmm. get a job, work there, get your gold watch, have your pension. And that's a wrap, and you know, <laughs> and then, I, yeah, and and I think our our generation, I guess you know, Gen X is is more. We're kind of that blend. We're kind of that blend of yeah, you know, we were taught because our parents, that's what they knew, so they told us, right. get, go to school, get a job. So that's what we did. Mm-hmm. But then when we had those jobs, we're like, there's got to be something more than this. Got to be. But I would take it one. You know, it's funny. I take it one step further to like Gen Z, you know, millennial Gen Z, and I have a twenty, uh, almost a twenty three year old daughter and a twenty year old son, and. Twenty-three-year-old daughter graduated from Chapel Hill. He's got a job, big, big company. Uh, my son is is uh, just turned twenty. He's out in L.A. chasing the music dream. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're completely different. Sweet. But but what I what I'm seeing with this new generation, this younger generation, is uh, I think they're they're great. They have many qualities that we don't have. But it, it's now the pendulum's gone all the way to the other side to where it's like, yeah, you know, forget corporate America, forget working for anybody. I'm going to do this on my own. Okay, but that's really hard and really expensive, and you don't have any money and you have no experience. Maybe you know you want. And I, I told this to my daughter: like, go to work for a big company, go spend five to ten years there, learn on their dime, on their dime. And yes, if, yeah. And then if you want to start and, and give back, whatever they give you, give them back. You know, ten x. So don't mm-hmm. don't do any quiet quitting or that junk. Oh gosh, I mean, bust your butt and give them mm-hmm. back. You know, a tenfold return on their their investment in you, but make the mistakes on their dime and learn you know, the best practices. And then if you want to start your own thing, when you come out, you'll, you'll have some money, you'll have some scratch, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to do this versus a lot of kids on Instagram and YouTube, or, you know, they're 20 years old and, you know, do this and do that. And, and okay, but where do you get the funding? And you're going to make a lot of mistakes, which is it's expensive and, and it takes a while. So why not do that with a, a bigger company for a little while? Even if you want to be an entrepreneur, just do it for a little while. That's, you know, that's my personal opinion. I don't know if it's right, but that's certainly the guidance I gave to my my daughter, who's kind of more of that business track where my son's off doing music. I think it makes perfect sense. My daughter's 25, yeah. my son is 22. And right there, it's just, I, I see a huge advantage for this next generation. Um, they just have an ability to see things differently. And I think the fact that maybe it's because of social media, but they question everything. Where our, our generation may be the kind of the first way we questioned, you know, the media, politics. Yep. We start to see scandal. Yep. It was more front and center where the boomers didn't really see that. They believed everything mm-hmm. they saw and heard because, well, you know, Walter Cronkite yep. told them that's exactly. what, what yeah. happens in the yeah. news. So it, yep. it is very fascinating. But uh, I, let's let's move back to Rockbox because you've yep. only been franchising since 2018, I think, right? And yep. There's 60 open locations already. Yep, we've got 60 open, uh, uh, several in pre-launch right now, and then some more in development. So wow. uh, it's been it's been a great run. You know, COVID, of course, for every boutique fitness uh, concept, you know, it, it slowed us it, it it slowed us down for a period. Very proud to say that we didn't lose a single studio during COVID. Uh, of course, we all had to temporarily shut down, mm-hmm. but not a single one uh, permanently closed because of COVID. We've only closed one store um, permanently ever but 
yeah, it's been, um, it's been an amazing learning experience and I learned more in the last, easily, easily more in the last six years with Rockbox than I learned, you know, I have an MBA from when I was younger and 25 years of experience, like all that was great. And again, I, it's the foundation, mm-hmm. man, when you, when it's your own dime, your own money, you're, you're, you're in charge. It's your, your learning is exponential and you know, it's, I feel like I've got four PhDs in business and marketing and finance and all that, you know, cause you're forced to, you're forced to, but yeah. Yeah. yeah you do. You have, you do have those four PhDs in this short time. You have to, yeah, you have to, you have to. And, and, and that where you said, if you're not growing, you know, you're, you're dying basically. And, and yeah. I think business and entrepreneurship is the best way to keep your mind and your spirit and everything active. It's hard. So, you know, people are listening, like, mm-hmm. I'll never tell you it's, it's easy. Um, you know, you can make it simpler than a lot of people make it. And especially if your business model is simple, but, but you know, business is a full contact sport. You know, if you're making money, give them <laughs> six months, they're lined up, you know, they're, they're 40 deep behind you to steal your lunch money. And you're going to so, be able to take a hit. Yeah, exactly. And get right back up <laughs> and get right get back right up. Back and it's up. not, but it's not for everybody. And that's, it's not, Going back to your meeting with Steve, you saw something in Steve that you didn't see probably in a lot of people. I saw something in Steve I didn't see in myself. Oh, like I'm really honest, because Steve was doing it. Steve had worked for who did he work for? Uh, uh, Santa Fe Ventus. Oh, Steve was a farmer up at one point. Okay, he worked for Medline, which was another Medline's like a disposable company. Um, and then he had worked for uh, like a, a linen company, a national linen company. But then he started his own linen company, ended up selling that, uh, and that's how he got the money to start his his two fitness studios. Um, but he had always he'd been a serial entrepreneur, and he'd always kind of done it. And so, you know, that's the first time I've ever said that out loud because you just you provoked that that thought. But I'm sure I saw, so I know I saw something in Steve that I didn't see myself, and I said, I want that life, you know. And I knew he had to hustle, and it was tough, and and you know he was still just getting his feet on the ground for for that concept. But I. But I, I I saw in him that bias for action and okay let's do this okay let's do it this afternoon then you know like let's make a decision okay let's let's start this afternoon like corporate America be like well let's have another meeting and let's uh, oh. take it to the committee and let's you know the next month let's put it on the calendar and right now man it was like this afternoon let's go this afternoon and you know we've we've kept that same type of spirit with Thrive More where it's just a bias for action like what is the next okay who's leaving this meeting like I've kind of joke about this. I, I call it like the nine one one moment when, mm-hmm. you know, when you train for CPR, they, one thing, one of the things they teach you is, you know, look, find somebody, you know, if there's a body on the ground, find somebody in the crowd. And you know, I point to you and say, you call nine one one, because if you just say, all right, somebody call nine one one, nobody does. Cause you assume right. somebody else will. And so in our meetings, you know, I say, okay, who owns, it? okay, you, you own this and you'll then have this project, whatever it is completed by this date. Yeah. Okay. Write that down in the meeting notes. That's committed. Yep. Cool. Because now we have action towards it and, and somebody owns it. And I, I think a lot of times, again, we decide to do things. Mm-hmm. We don't jump. And and to run an efficient company, it's not not rocket science. It's just who owns it? When is it Dubai? If you need any resources or help, it's on you to come to me to get those resources or help. We're in agreement. All right. I'll see you next Tuesday with the, you know, with the end result. And and you do that every day, hour after hour after hour, and you drive results. And how does your role um, differ from Steve? So wh- tell me how that was split out. How you guys even decided who who's going to do what? Yeah, um, man, that's I'll tell you what that's 
That's a great question for anybody who's going into this that has um, a partner or multiple partners. So I, Steve and I um, were 50-50 when we started and then brought in another gentleman who's well-established in the franchising industry. His name's Jeff Duden. Uh, he owned Vanaclean, big restoration company. He was on Undercover Boss, you know, on TV and stuff. And um, a mutual friend had introduced me to him to maybe do some consulting for us to help us with franchising. And the more he learned about Rockbox Fitness, the more he wanted to buy in versus be a consultant. So we ended up bringing him in for a minority partnership. And then later, um, he decided he wanted a majority ownership. And um, you know, we went back and forth on that for a while until we finally came to an agreement. But the, the, I mean, the, the long answer to your the very simple question is, you need to decide up front and just say, okay, who's in charge of what and, and, and who's going to be the end say? The three of us, we, we took so much time worrying about stepping on each other's toes, about offending the other person, about, well, I, I want, you know, and it wasn't, so I was the CEO and then, and we just, so that's to answer your question. I think Steve and I just kind of sat down and said, okay, somebody's got to be a CEO. I've got the most, you know, leadership experience, formal experience. You know, I've pitched a private equity if we ever have to do that, I'll, you know, so I'm going to be that guy, you be mm -hmm. the COO and, you know, let's settle in these roles, but we're making decisions together. But that way people know, okay, where's the buck stop? And then Jeff came in for minority. But then when Jeff came in for majority, I was like, well, then you should really have the title. I mean, you really should do, you know, this should be your your thing. And and Jeff's more of an investor than he is, uh, you know, an, an active day-to-day -day participant, even though he, he's, he's an advisor. That's what he should, he's, he's really, he's our principal advisor. So, you know, he didn't really want that day-to-day -day role. So then we were dancing around it some more. We brought in an outside president. That didn't really work out. So I ended up reassuming that role and then we just made it very clear, like, okay, I'm the CEO and, you know, I, that means, you know, I, I own the failures if there's failures and, and I own making sure that we, we get through the storms and all that stuff too. So Frank, I don't know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's hard because partners don't want to offend the other partner and mm -hmm. everybody's got their feelings out and you're, but at some point you just have to say, all right, one of us has to be the top guy or top gal and never an easy conversation, but I'll tell you, we did it wrong. We did it wrong for the first 18 months. And employees didn't know, you know, they'd have to go to three people to get an approval because I don't know, it sounds good to me, but you know, go ask Steve or go ask Jeff, you know, that's not what that, that's, that's terrible. But, but I'll tell you, we, we, we went slower for 18 months than we probably could have had we just said, look, here's the pecking order. Everybody get in their lanes. Well, let's go as fast as we can. Um, so it's, at some point you just got to check the ego, right? Just check the ego. Totally. It's incredible yeah. that you're saying that you guys kind of struggled with that for about 18 months. You've only been around for five years and you got 60 locations open. So it couldn't have been all that bad, right? No, I mean, it, and it, it was functional, but I just look back. I mean, it's fair, but I, but I look back to our, I'm really thinking about our team. Yeah. And, you know, we have a young team and everybody, everybody just wants to know like, Hey, where does the buck stop? Right, and I when to? I get an answer, is that the final answer? Sure. Right. Is that the final answer? Um, and I don't want, and I don't want it to be whoever's in the office or whatever the weather is, or who's in a good mood, who's in a bad mood like that. You know, it should just be, so said another way, you have to have a hierarchy in your organization, but I would, I'm the biggest advocate for not having a hierarchical, that's a word I'm trying, whatever that word sure. is, um, structure, right? Like, so you want a hierarchy, but your structure should be very flat, very horizontal. And again, glass doors or you know, glass ceiling to, to floor so that an associate here can just walk into my office and, they, and they're, 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 they're supposed to like, that's, we encourage that, that that way, the idea the the original idea doesn't get filtered through two levels or three levels of management. 
before it gets to the executives, that's what's the best thinking that comes forward. So I don't like a hierarchy when it comes to interaction, but you have to have a hierarchy when it comes to rewards, performance, you know, who owns what accountability you have to. So the way this platform has grown out now, so I understand you, you know, you take back over, you're considered the CEO then, right? Steve is mm-hmm. COO. We have Jeff investor. And now you start to create this platform, right? Because is, did the platform come first or did all of a sudden light beam light come into play here? Yeah. Great. Uh, great Chicken question. The so, egg. How did this all work? <laughs> yeah. Beam light sauna um, fortuitously. I ended up meeting uh, actually through, Steve's wife fortuitously ended up meeting a woman named Cynthia Wagner and she had, uh, she has uh, a daughter who has Lyme's disease and, uh, her daughter, I think is 19 or 20 now, but when she was younger in their, in her teenage years, uh, Lyme's disease just knocked her over. Like she, you know, this was a very active young woman who just was decimated and couldn't go to school, didn't have any energy. And finally a doctor, you know, they pumped her full of antibiotics, of course, and, and tried different therapies. And finally, it was a dermatologist or a, uh, I don't know, some infectious disease doctor, somebody recommended that she find an infrared sauna that she could use four to five times a week. And she lived in DC at the time. The closest place was like 45 minutes away. So she had to go an hour and a half, five times a week. And then, you know, an hour there for this infrared sauna session, but it put the limes into remission because it boosts your immune system, improves your circulatory system, it reduces inflammation. Um, so it addresses the symptoms of Lyme. You can't cure Lyme's disease, of course, but it addresses the symptoms mm-hmm. and, you know, it changed her life. It gave her life back. So when, uh, Cynthia moved to Charlotte with her husband and family, I don't know what year that was, um, she ended up wanting to, she'd operated like million dollar hair salons, high end salons. She came down here. She didn't want to do that. So she, uh, she knew that Maya needed an infrared sauna. And she also knew that there was nothing around. So that's a great business opportunity. So she opened a, a studio. Uh, it was called, again, called something different. I have a tendency to rename things when we buy them, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was called something different. So we renamed it Beam Light Sauna and brought her in a, as a partner and uh, instructor that company with a different cap table, but have that company. So once we had that company, we realized, okay, now we've got a successful fitness franchise. We've got a brand new emerging franchise in an incredibly, you know, hot market, no pun intended, but you know, in this infrared sauna space, okay, now it's time to start getting some synergies and we can build and support these brands with a lot more people than you could normally justify having with a single brand. Um, you know, we've got 26 people, which is still too many for even the two brands we have at their size, but we're not staff for today. We're staff for tomorrow mm-hmm. when the franchisees will need that. I already want to have that for them. And a lot of times, you know, and we have the capital that thank goodness we have the capital to do that uh, and we're still independently funded. But if, if, if you don't have the capital, it is it is tough because the franchisees are going to need support that you can't afford yet until you're bigger. So it's kind of that chicken or egg thing. And Jeff's a Jeff's a big proponent of spending ahead of revenue, investing ahead of revenue, so that you're ready when it comes. And and so we we've done that with uh, with the two brands. So um, Steve is is not uh, involved in the daily business of of uh, any of the businesses, but he's still an owner in Rockbox and serial entrepreneur. He's he's actually started another company that is a vendor to Rockbox, like a, okay. a very necessary and important vendor uh, to Rockbox. So he's, you know, he, he's just, he stands stuff up so fast. Um, and then Jeff is, um, you know, really an advisor on, on both brands and just a great guy. If I get in a pickle or, you know, pinch, like 
what do we do in these situations? You know, I've never seen this in franchising. Sure. I can call Jeff and Jeff says, oh yeah, I've seen that 32 times. Here's what you do. You know, so he's a great asset to lean into. And, and Cynthia, this is, is her, yeah, this is her first run in, in franchising. So it is funny, Frank, because I've said, all right, Cynthia. So when we get to the first stores open, here's what's going to happen. Like, no, that, that won't happen. They won't, you know, this, I'm like, trust me. And then we're going to do this and this is going to happen. And she's like, really? I'm like, trust me. And man, if it hasn't just worked out, cause it's pretty predictable. I mean, really business and especially franchising is pretty predictable. And so it's just, it's funny to watch her, watch it through her eyes. And not that I'm some old grizzled veteran in this business, but it, you know, if you've been through it once, yeah. you've kind of been through it. You saw and, the movie and, already. You were in the movie already once, exactly. and now she's seeing it. Yeah, yeah. For the but first it, I mean, time. she laughs. She's laughing because she's like, you said this is going to happen, and it did. So, you know, it's franchising is, I think the most interesting thing about franchising is you have people that, they are entrepreneurs because they're betting on themselves, mm -hmm. but they also want, they want guardrails. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs, Steve's an example. Steve, like, the dude just runs a million miles an hour and you know, it's not super process oriented. And so he finds people that are process oriented, you know, to, to build around him. Um, and, and so franchisees, they want that process. That's what they're buying. They're buying a business model, an operation model, you know, a marketing an acquisition team, all that. But at the same token, some franchisees, when they come into a, a franchise system, regardless of the industry, so pick your industry, pick your franchise, you know, sometimes there's a tendency where they think, okay, if I pay my franchise fee and if I, you know, if, if I get my doors open, I've won. I, that's the finish line. You know, right. now I go to the ATM and man, that's the, the getting your doors open. That's the starting line. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work to get just to the starting line. It, it'll break, break in two, just getting to the starting line, but getting your business open is like, you've just, even if you did a big pre-launch, you got 200 members, 300 members, you are just at the starting line. So you know, it's, it's, it's human behavior and psychology. And so you, you know that, and you can share with them, Hey, this is how it's going to feel. You're going to get tired during pre-launch. You're going to get worn out. You know, this, um, you're going to have members say this and do that. Uh-huh. 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 Sure. 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 But until they go through that walk themselves, you know, it's kind of hard. It's just like parent, you know, and sure. not, that, not that it's a parent child relationship, but, but just, you know, like you want to help your kids and say, I can save you this headache. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. But your kids are probably still going to do it so they can learn the lesson. And, and I would say franchising isn't all that much different. You know? right. what, well, what was life like being a franchisor early on now that you have two brands underneath your umbrella? And also, how did you find the first few of each? Yeah, so our first franchisee with, um, with Rockbox was a member from one of Steve's studios. So he had two. I then ended up building like the first flagship built from the ground up Rockbox, mm -hmm. you know, branded as Rockbox and kind of the model that, that we had designed. Um, and our first franchisee came with a buddy um, and we sat down, we were sitting on like jump boxes. Like that was the first discovery day. It was like sitting on jump boxes, you know, <laughs> the, and I, I know you can relate to this. I'm sure. Totally. Um, you know, you go, you go from there to like a nice boardroom later, but you know, for a while it's on jump boxes. So uh, we're sitting there and um, we could tell this one gentleman named Kevin was dead serious about it. He'd already done real estate investing. He was well capitalized, but his friend, and I can't remember his friend's name, um, and they wanted to be partners. I could tell his friend it was a lifestyle thing. Like, you know, hey, I want to say I own a gym. You know, that's I could tell. And we literally said no. So hmm. these guys are ready to give us, uh, 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 I don't know, 35000 or whatever whatever the fee was back then. And, you know, our first cust our first franchisee, and we said no. We said this, I can tell this isn't going to work. That guy's not going to put in the, the hard work. And, uh, 
about a week later, Kevin came back and said, I'll tell you what, I, I met with, again, I can't remember the gentleman's name. He's okay. If I do this on my own, you know, I want to do this on my own. What do you think? We're like, let's go. You're, you're awesome. Let's go. Um, you know, you got the work ethic, you got the, the skill set. Uh, he became our first franchisee. And then that we sold, I think we awarded 23 licenses that first full year. And a lot of them were to members of the studios or somehow in our network, even if it was, mm-hmm. you know, connected. And then, and then we, uh, when Jeff came into the business, he really brought that franchise development expertise that we did not have. So we built an organic capability there, um, you know, whole HubSpot integration, franchise development director and uh, in-house person underneath him. Yeah. In-house yeah. in-house. So we built that we use for beam. We do use uh, a franchise sales organization. And of course they use, you know, franchise consultants uh-huh. uh, because we want to go really fast with beam and because we know it's a, a great opportunity and you can only go so fast organically. Um, it's a very expensive proposition too, but going organically, but as you know, if you use a franchise sales organization and a broker network, there's really not, le- not a lot left over with a franchise fee when it's all said and done. So it's, it's kind of six of one half a dozen the other, if you build it organically, it's just, if it's core to your business, again, at least know how to do it. Mm. So we, we, we keep that, you know, inside and so it's not an either, or it's kind of an, and for us. I agree. I, I think you need to know how to do it. Doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be the doing it in-house sales. Yep. Maybe I sound like an old founder, but doing it myself early on was key because I got a chance to understand what the potential candidates were asking. I wanted to hear it. I wanted to know what the yeah. challenges were. And I also wanted to know how I thought it should be responded to as opposed to what an outside organization who's at arm's length might not know how to answer it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's, it makes you a better business person when you, you know, from soup to nuts, know how the whole business operates. And again, you shouldn't do everything because you can't scale, right. but you need to know what's being done. And then and then you also value it, right? I, I finished, a, when we lived in Atlanta 30 years ago, I finished a basement room to create a home office, like did the whole, you know, drywall, finish work, everything, and realized I never want to do this again, ever. <laughs> but I can tell you this, I really value when a carpenter comes out to the house now, right? right. I value when somebody, you know, a painter comes out, like that's, that's worth the money. Absolutely. I know what that's involved in that and I don't want to do it, but I at least know how to do it. Yeah. I want to talk more about Thrive More Brands. So with this platform, you mentioned that the, one of the criteria was that it, it's in the fitness space and it's going to complement the other two. What's some of the other criteria that you're going to be looking for um, yeah. to see if it's going to meet your Yep. Needs. So just, uh, just one small correction. So it doesn't have to be in the fitness. In fact, it probably won't be in the fitness space, but it will be in the health or I'm wellness sorry, space, yes. right? Yeah, yes. yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, so the great question, the criteria, it, it, one, it has to, it has to be a differentiated product, you know, obviously two, there has to be, um, price elasticity, meaning that we can raise prices and, and charge a higher premium price for a premium, premium experience for, you know, a better member experience for a better uh, for more value. You can't mm-hmm. just ask for more money. You have to give more value, but I don't want to be trapped. I, all of our brands will always be premium priced. And the reason why is that, that'll, that affords us the ability to spend more money to acquire a customer profitably, but it also affords us the ability to service that member at a higher level. And really, if you're not at the top of the market, the most expensive or the least expensive, and there's definitely a competitive advantage for being the least expensive because there'll always be a market for that. But if you're not one of those two, you're, you're kind of in no man's land. If you're in the middle, 
And so many people set their pricing on, well, what's the market? You know, what is everybody else charging? And then, you know, let's charge $10 less or $10 more. That's, that's not how I price. And I've, I've done some deep dives into pricing uh, philosophy and, and, and research. And, you know, you, you price at what the market will bear, not what everyone else is charging, because that doesn't mean they're right. And, and, and there's also this, I think there's, it's a fallacy because uh, the research shows there's a, that, you know, franchises will go into a market and say, Hey, New York, um, I'm just going to make up some numbers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, in New York, New York, we're going to charge $250 a month in Charlotte, you know, mid market, we're going to charge $200 a month. And in Des Moines, Iowa, we're going to charge 150 a month. It sounds like common sense, right? but there's nothing, there's no sense to it. Um, a market will pay anybody in that market will pay what they feel a product is worth, what they feel an experience is worth. You know, an iPhone is not less expensive in Des Moines than it is in New York because it's valued at the same amount. And, and so I think a lot of companies go into pricing with just the wrong approach. So I agree with your you. Question, like, yeah. I, I think I, I fear, want fear yeah. drives the price because I don't think we can do it. Right. You got it. I, I, we're not sure we can deliver on the brand promise. Thus we price lower. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that is just a, well, that's a death spiral. That's a death spiral. So yeah, so there has to be price elasticity, meaning that we can move prices and not lose ability to, to gain customers. And um, three, there has to be recurring revenue. Uh, I, I do not want to be in a business that, you know, every month now, even membership models, as you know, you got to feed it every single month because you're going to have attrition. But boy, there's something to be said to wake up on, on the first of the month and, and know I'm at least going to make this much money. Right. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to work. We're going to work a lot harder to make more money, but at least I know I got my overhead and my rent and my labor for that month covered with recurring revenue. So definitely, you know, it's in the health and wellness space and that can be, that's kind of loosely defined. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're never going to sell cigarettes to kids or anything like, you know, it's, it's going to be health and wellness. And then, um, you know, I want to make sure there's price elasticity where we can move pricing and, and be at the higher end. And there it has to be, you know, it has to have some recurring revenue component to it. Mm-hmm. If it fits those three criteria, you know, we'll, we'll look at it and then we'll evaluate the market. We'll look at, you know, is it how much white spaces are in the market? Is this a blue ocean or is it a red ocean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even some red oceans where it's just brutally competitive, you can carve out a different offering and, and position your service or your product in a different way to find that blue ocean. That's hard, but you can do that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm less, less focused on the actual industry and more on does it have those three components if it does comes down to marketing and sales you know and and just fulfillment what are your thoughts on how long that business has to be around do they have to be established a while what sort how does that play as a factor into whether they might be a good candidate to be part of thrive more no they don't have to be a long established brand and of course if they are a long established brand if it's a really good brand it's long established it's going to cost a fortune so i'm going to be competing with you know, private equity firms sure. that have a 10, 10 year harvesting of their money, you know, like I'm not going to win that game. Um, if it's and it, but if it's been around a long time and it's, and it's still relatively inexpensive, it's probably not a strong business. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't want mm-hmm. that either. Uh, unless there's a lot of, you know, if there's some three levers we can pull to, to get, you know, more customers quickly and, and change the model, we would look at that. If a, a good business model is, is a good business model, period, you know, period. It's, it doesn't have to be around for 20 years. It could be 18 months. If it's a good business model that is able to be replicated, which you know you've met many people that they're very wealthy and they do great, but it's one it's a one location kind of thing or it's a one business kind of thing. You know, it's not it's not super scalable. 
um, or repeatable, I should say. So, you know, it's gotta be a model that somewhat simple. And do you have a criteria for what the owner needs to be the role of the owner? Mm. If they became part of the platform, what are you looking for in, in an owner? I would want that. Yeah. I would want that founder to be just like Cynthia to assume the president role for that mm. brand. I would want the founder. There's a reason the brand was successful in the first place. The reason we'd look at it in the first place, because the founder's probably pretty damn good mm-hmm. and, and obviously passionate about, you know, anybody that builds any successful business has put in extra hours and extra time and, and blood, sweat and tears. Um, and that passion is seen during a discovery day when somebody comes to visit your brand and learn about your brand. And the president talks about, you know, let me tell you the Genesis you know, about my daughter having Lyme's disease. You know, I talk about, I tell my story about Rockbox, about being in corporate America and being absolutely miserable. It didn't matter how much money I made. I was, I was miserable. And you can see people relate to that, right? Cause it's real. It's authentic. You know, I would want the, the, the founder to become, come over as a president and some that would be great for. And as you know, some entrepreneurs after a while, it's like, I don't want to report to anybody. I don't like this. This is, right. you know, I, I need to go in and that's fine. You know, that person would rotate out and they'd still have their equity and, and, you know, and, uh, enterprise value in the business. But I, you know, all things being equal and, and my druthers would be to have that person come over and be the president to run that brand. Sure. That's your goal. And at the end of the day, you and Jeff are the franchise guys now that they can rely yep. on. So somebody can come in like a Cynthia and say, I don't know anything about franchising. I've got this, you know, beam light business. It's doing well, but I want to be under your wing. Exactly. exactly. That's fantastic. And she, you know, she had the opportunity to have an investor come in who wanted to give her seven figures to, to, to blow it up. And she said, okay, great. I'm going to need your help on this. And they're like, no, 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 I'm going to give you the money, but you got to do it. And she's like, well, that, you know, I can find money. That's, right. you know, I mean, it's really that's a commodity. <laughs> exactly. And, and, uh, you know, I ended up deciding to come, come with us because we brought the expertise, brought the money and the expertise. So how do you now decide, um, when you guys can scale more quickly? There's always a balance. Um, I want to go as fast as we can right. because, um, market timing is important. Um, first to market's important. It's not everything by any means. Uh, you know, we came into fitness and fitness was already hyper competitive and we've done fine. I always look at, uh, you know, weighted risk. So Frank, it's like how, you know, we can go as fast as as, as much risk as we want to take. But again, because you have franchisees, you're also putting them at risk. So, you know, as a franchisor, anybody who's listening, this thing about doing this as a franchisor, you or are doing is, you know, we have a fiscal responsibility to our franchisees and our goals may not be their goals. So you have to find that balance. And, you know, we were very, very conscientious about bringing beam light sauna into the fold because our Rockbox franchisees, I know, of course, the first thought was, wait a second, what's going on? We're not, I thought we were the only, you know, the only child, right? You know, we're, now I got it, you know. They, they have another the, kid. What's going siblings on? You know, here. So, What's going on here? Exactly. Exactly. I used to have this dinner table to myself. Um, so, you know, we were very conscientious about, and we actually have a, a um, next or this weekend, my gosh, this weekend, uh, we have a, a summit, national summit uh, in Nashville and we're bringing both brands together because there's just such great cross pollinization that can happen between the franchisees. It's a very similar avatar that they're going after. It's a similar moder- um membership model, you know, same customer acquisition, same membership sale, same retention plays, all that stuff, different service, but bringing them together. But, um, I would go as, you know, at light speed, but that wouldn't be responsible. Right. And you know, we, you, there's response. There's some people that just sell as many as they can, but we want to be responsible about it. And so we've told some there, we've had some beam candidates make all the way to discovery day. And 
So after we put eyes on them and spent some time with them, went to dinner with them, we just realized, oh, that's not a good fit. That's, you know, and had to say no, which the brokers are never happy to hear that. But, uh, you know, we just, that's not going to be a good fit. So we're going, I think, as fast as you can grow in a responsible manner. Mm-hmm. And with, with Beamlight, there's only four open right now. But how many are in development? Um, dozens and dozens and dozens. <laughs> so it's, this has been, you know, one, you're better at the second time through so we're we're going faster Two, we've relied on uh, not just organic franchise development but um also a a, a franchise sales organization and uh, and of course all the broker networks and mm-hmm. we paid to play to be there so we're, we're going at it from both ends so I, there's 30 some in development right now and and then you know we're we're at over 200 uh, licenses awarded of course many of those are multi-unit you know awards um, so not like we're going to have 200 open tomorrow by any means, but yeah, there's, there's, I want to say there it's close to 30 that are in development right now. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you, it's exciting. It's fun. Has this exceeded your expectations from a few years ago of what you it, thought it, life was going to be like? You know, when I, when I got in Rockbox, I was, I was, um, a little naive and thought we'll have 500 locations in five years, right? Like that's mm-hmm. easy. No problem. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't realize that real estate comes into play and real estate availability, you know, for leasing comes into play. And, uh, um, I don't know, know, a pandemic also maybe. Yeah, exactly. You know, that little pesky <laughs> thing in t- 2020 exactly. on the way. Two years but, into the business. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Trust me. That was, I do remember calling Jeff and saying, all right, brother, I've read, you know, a hundred business books got an MBA, watched a hundred <laughs> Ted talks. Nowhere was I taught how to manage through a pandemic. You know, if they, if they taught it, I missed that lesson. I missed that lesson. Man. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, I, I would say that, um, you know, I think I had unrealistic expectations when I got into it. Those had been managed just by reality, by reality. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm really comfortable with, with the pace that we're going. And so I guess, you know, to answer your question, I, I think we're right where we're supposed to be. So I, it, it meeting my expectations cause I've set my expectations much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so lower than they were when I got into franchising, but then again, after pandemic, like, okay, we can reset, we're back at it. Everything's going to be okay. And I, and I've reset those expectations and you know, I, I follow the guys, everybody else follows Grant Cardone, Ed Milet, you know, Tony Robbins, all these guys. And I do believe that, like, I really believe in that philosophy of, of dream big. Like your dream has to, if my dream isn't big as a CEO for this business, then how big can the people that work with me, you know, or under me, how big can their dream possibly, you know, like your dream has to be so big that everybody else's dream that works for you can fit inside your dream. If yours isn't that big, either they're going to leave to go pursue their dream, or they're going to not come close to fulfilling their potential because you've constricted, you know, what, what you're willing to do. So I think as leaders and as owners and founders, you know, we're our own worst enemy when we limit what we think we can achieve. So I've, and I learned that probably later in life than I should, I yeah. should have, but I, I, I'm a firm believer in just absolutely shoot for them. Like set your, you know, set a, and it's, it's not the money, you know, I want to be a billionaire. You can't spend a billion dollars if you try like that. We can't even fathom how much money that is, mm-hmm. but set your goal for what you want to give to the world, what your contributions, want to, you want your contributions to be like, how, how you want to be remembered. Here's the thing. I tell me like, well, how do you, you know, how do I set your goals in life? I said, write your epitaph, write your epitaph, write what you want them to say at your funeral and then make that come true. Like just write out, like write a full page of the speech that your significant other or your surviving children, somebody would stand up there and, and weep and read. 
and then become that man or that woman. That's awesome. And if your dream doesn't scare you, it's not big enough, right? For sure. I've heard Tony, For sure. Tony talk about that before. Yeah. And that always kind of hit me. I, I, I'm, I would think you would probably agree with this too, that, you know, I think a lot of people that haven't taken that step in entrepreneurship and a lot of your listeners that, that are right there and they're, they're, they've decided, but they haven't jumped yet. Um, just be prepared that it's scary most days of the week. Like there's, you know, as, as, as an entrepreneur, maybe once the company's doing, you know, a hundred million or 200, maybe, maybe it slows down. I don't think so. Cause I think you just raise your goals and you take on more risk and more debt and all, you know, so I think it just ratchets up, but you ju just be prepared that, yeah, you're going to be scared most days, not scared the whole day, but you know, there'll be a thing you'll have a thought like, oh my God, what if, but what, what you need to teach yourself and, and try to do more of, and I'm trying to do more of is, okay, instead of saying, always saying, well, what if this goes wrong? What if this goes right? You know, like what could possibly go wrong? Well, what could possibly go right? And I'm hundred percent guilty in first half of my life spending, you know, what could go wrong? And man, that's, that, that just mitigates your, your ability to really grow and, and expand because you're so worried about the, the potential downfall. But my God, if we can get through, if, if I can get a, a boutique fitness concept through COVID, <laughs> bring it on, you know, like bring it on. So, so it's like, you know, look back at your life and see what you've already accomplished and already achieved. If you did that, you can handle the next thing that comes at you as a curveball. So, uh, Roger, if somebody's interested in learning more about one of the two Thrive More brands, um, how can they get more information from you? Yeah, yeah. So we've, um, so of course, rockboxfitness.com, beamlightsana.com has those brands specific. But if you're interested in Thrive More, if you have a concept that would fit kind of the criteria that I outlined and are interesting in franchising that, uh, we'd be interested in talking to you. So we've, uh, we have a, a website, Thrive More Brands. So it's just the word thrive, the word more, and brands just all together, thrivemorebrands.com. And on there, um, it kind of shows, you know, who we are, what our brands are. And if you're interested in franchising one of our brands that already exists, you can apply right there. If you're interested in franchising your existing business, um, then, you know, there's a form that we fill out and then we'll, we'll talk and see if there's a good fit to take it to the next step. Um, I like you have a, a, a podcast, that's the fancy mic here, um, but have a podcast and it's called thrive more with Roger Martin. And, um, on there, uh, we talk about some other resources as well, but, um, yeah, they, so they can get a hold of me through that page or they can follow us, um, in any of the brands just going through thrivemorebrands.com. That's awesome. That is, yeah. that is great. Thank you so much. So I, I have to you finish bet. with, I call the tip jar because the franchise community is so generous with giving of information. This has been like an hour plus though of incredible info. It's been a very unique interview. Um, awesome. if you've got anything left in the tank, <laughs> is there another best practice maybe that, you can share with maybe an aspiring entrepreneur that's um, looking to franchise their concept. What's a piece of advice you'd give them? I am going to, so I'm going to, I'm going to say two things which are going to contradict themselves. Um, I believe that leaders are readers and anybody, uh, you're, you're never going to meet uh, a, you know, an eight figure um, person, you know, person with eight figure wealth or more that doesn't massively consume reading material. So always have a book, always have a book going. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be on self, uh, or uh, business, you know, be self-help. I love biographies. Like you want a great time, read the Rockefeller biography, the Jeff Bezos, the Elon Musk one is amazing. The, the, the Walter Isaacson's, um, biography on Steve jobs. You're there. It's better than any movie you could watch on Netflix. And yet you're learning all these business lessons because they're teaching the lessons through, 
through their story. So I would say always have a book going. And then I'm going to, I guess I had on the Thrive More podcast, I asked him the same question that you just asked me. And he said, yeah, put the books down and get to work. And, and I thought that's the best answer I've ever gotten for that question, right? So like I always have a book going and make sure you're reading and all that stuff. But, but you know, as you know, um, and, and a lot of the listeners know, you can't read your way to success. You can't think your way to success. You can't plan your way. You got to work your way to success. So, you know, always be reading because I think that's so important forever in life. Just always be learning, always learning, but also put the book down and get to work because nothing is going to happen until you put the books down and you actually go out and work and try and start and fail and try again and fail and try again and fail and try again. Because you're always going to, you know, it's that, it's that loop. You're, it's that positive loop going up. Do something today. Anything. Start. Boom. Take an action. Yep. Roger, thank you so much. It was awesome having you on the show. And I look forward to meeting you in person one day. And uh, Absolutely. Let's stay connected, Absolutely. man. I'm going to listen to Thrive More. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time. All right. Take care. Thank you for tuning into the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. For additional insights, guest applications, and to stay connected, visit us at efbpodcast.com. The Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of Emerging Franchise Brands, its host Frank Fumi, or Emerging Franchise Group, LLC. Any discussed franchise or investment opportunity requires thorough investigation, obtaining proper disclosure documents, and expert consultation before making any investment decisions. The podcast and its host do not offer professional advice or endorsements, and they hold no responsibility for actions, representations, accuracy, or consequential damages related to the podcast content.